0: The scripture for today's sermon comes from Jude chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The Word of God speaks to us like this. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God and Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation— I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and lord Jesus Christ This is the word of God to us thanks, thanks to, be God. to God I can thank you Well, good morning, my name is Chad Puckett. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, I would love that opportunity. And especially on Mother's Day, clearly you recognize we chose a passage of Scripture directly speaking to mothers this morning. So uh, the hard word of Jude that we have right here, we actually very much want to lean into both of those realities. Jude, we get to start a series in Jude and walk through Jude over the next four weeks, and we're excited for this. We feel like it is really timely in a really, uh, just a specific voice for our culture in this moment and what it looks like to follow Jesus in this area. And and so we're excited for that. It's also Mother's Day, and we want to be people who don't just have some cartoonish way in which we honor moms. We want to, but we very much want to be a people who recognize the blessing that moms have been in our lives, of course, but like in our church as well. Yeah, You have been a blessing. You are a grace to us. We are a better church because of our ladies mothering in this place. And I think specifically one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2, where he describes his ministry as being like, they were gentle like a nursing mother with her children. And, and so I just want to say this to our moms I want to say this to our ladies in here who long to be mothers. I want to say this to those who are fostering and those who, in many ways, whether you have children or not, you are mothering in this place. We are thankful and we're better for it. And so, with that, with with the idea of Jude calling us to something and our mothers blessing us with so much. I I wanna pray for our time together and I want you to pray for me. And so Father, we need you. God, we need you. Holy Spirit come, Holy Spirit meet us, open up your word, point us to Jesus, point us to our hope. May we not just go through uh, the motions, help us to be more than just people going through religious act but instead that we would meet the heart of the father who is gentle to us like a nursing mother. And God, help us to see what you're calling us to. It's in your precious name we pray, amen. Well, we are in Jude, and let me just start with a, a, a bit of a story. It's a picture that helps us, I think, understand Jude a little bit. In December of 1944, In a small area in Belgium, the U.S. Army had gathered. And if you put the dates together, you think, like, this is close to the end of World War II. And so we're in a moment of this on the border of Germany in which the the powers that be start to recognize the inevitable. There is victory that is coming, and yet it's not yet. There are battles still to be fought and there's ugliness ensuing. And, and the American army is piled up in this pretty small area of terrain and hundreds of thousands of people are, are in this area. And, and yet the battle is coming to them because the Germans are coming together and what hap- what history knows and calls the Battle of the Bulge is upon them. This is the last ditch effort by the Germans to break out. And again, I'm not trying to get like, history channel in your mix right now. Like, we don't have to be history experts in this. But what I want you to catch is that in this moment, the battle was upon them. And the Germans had encircled the 101st the U.S. 101st, and they sent their soldiers to the U.S. Army to say, now is the time where you're going to surrender or all sorts of terrible things are going to happen. And you can read that letter, it's ugly, it's really ugly. And the U.S. General, Brigadier General McAuliffe, reads that and can't believe what he's reading, can't believe what he's hearing from them. And his response goes down in history. It's four letters, it's one word with an exclamation point, typed out, all in caps, his response historically is nuts. If you Google him, one guy in our first service did, went on Wikipedia, and it's uh, General McAuliffe nuts. That's what comes up on Google with it. In history, all these years later, that's what he's known for, this rallying cry of an answer to the enemy. And I bring this up because that battle turns into be one of the fiercest, nastiest battles in all of history. For the next 35 days, it is just all out. It's terrible conditions. It's terrible everything. Nearly 5,000 soldiers a day were either wounded or killed in this battle. It becomes just a disgusting moment in history. And yet the word, the word, single word from this one general rang in the ears of the soldiers became a rallying cry and a call to arms to plant their staff in the ground and to say, we're not going anywhere from this moment. All that points us is simply a picture of what we get in the book of Jews. And what we have here in this little bitty, this tweet-linked letter in the book of Jude, this letter of Jude is a call to arms. And not physical arms. We're not trying to find the enemy and go uh, march down the street. That's not what we're doing here. It's a call to see what is happening all around us. One commentator puts it like this, and I love how he phrases it. The book of Jude is a treasure chest of fact and illustration. It's a thunderbolt hurled from on high. It echo, its echoes reverberate down the centuries and they sound the alarm for us in an age marked by lukewarmness in the church. And so Jude is writing to a church that is in some ways under siege, but not from outside, but from spiritual things that are happening in and amongst them. Jude is writing to a culture that is buck wild. Jude is writing to a small church in a, in a, in a tiny spot and he's trying to ha- have this here. And he'll tell you like, I'm excited to do certain things, but I have to write this. And it's a message. It's a, a, it's a ringing bell to hear, to hear the warning to hear what's before them, to, to recognize and to stand up. It's a rallying cry throughout history to followers of Jesus, to see what is going on around us, to be aware and to contend. And that word's going to come up again and again. And so this morning, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to unpack these first few verses, the first four verses in Jude, and we're going to look at it. And that Jude, like writing a tweet oftentimes or whatever, is deliberate with his words. He's only got a few that he's going to give out. And so he's really intentional with his words. And then we're going to say, how do we live this out? What's he saying and how do we live it out? And so start with me in verse one, because this letter starts like so many of the other letters of this time period in that it starts with a signature. It starts with a signature, identifying who's writing, what's going on. But those words, each and every one of them right here are important. Jude, a servant of Jesus, and brother of James. So so get each section of this. Jude names himself. And what we get when we see of Jesus Christ, those two linked together, we have name and title. And oftentimes throughout the New Testament, you get them reversed for intentional reasons. There's a message being sent in the order and when they put them both together. And so he's saying, Jesus representing this human name and Christ representing this title, this mission, this purpose that he's here. Messiah, the one, Jesus, the Messiah. Jude, a servant of this one, this man, this man who is also God. That's what he's saying. But what's interesting about it and why I want to highlight this for just a second is because what he's doing here is that he goes directly to the next line, which says, and brother of James, which again, uh, let's catch this real fast. James, James we know historically, biblically, brother of Jesus, which leads us to a question, right? Like, why does Jude not say he's brother of Jesus. And instead say he's brother of James. Because all three are brothers. You have three brothers right here. You have Jesus, you have James, and you have Jude. Why does, like, why does Jude say servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James? And I think there's an answer here that we, we need to pick up. Because your family does not make you a follower of Jesus. Just being born into a certain family, just being born into a certain place, the faith of your fathers does not save you. It can be a blessing. It can be a beautiful thing. It can be a real gift. It can save you from a lot of pain. But a, a fantastic mom who loves and has prayed for you every day of your life does not mean that you are a follower of Jesus. And he recognized that it wasn't who it wasn't who he was born to. Though, thank you, mothers. Thank you, mothers. It's God's good gift. Faith in this one that matters and that changes everything. Faith doesn't come through natural birth. It comes through spiritual birth. And that is a gift. And so look who who he's talking to. That's where it goes in the, the next section, the second part of chapter, or of verse one. It says, to those who are called Beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. We have three things that are happening right there. To those who are called, beloved in God, in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. See, Jude uses those three words, called, beloved, and kept. And he goes through it because throughout the Bible, One of the themes that we see as we read from beginning to end is that God is the initiator. You go back to the garden and it's God who caused. It's God who did this. It's God who gave this. It's God who made a way. And throughout scripture, you're always going to find it is God himself who is the initiator, the lover, the pursuer, the one who calls. He's the one who called you, which means something. It means that we're the ones who are loved. We're the ones who are pursued. We are the recipients. We're the recipients of God's initiating call. Now, when we reverse that, we miss a lot. And what we want to see is what Jude's saying, the called, that's what's happening here. So what that makes is because of God's pursuing, initiating love, because of his call, those of us in Christ are not just servants that God tolerates. Catch that not just those that are like, well, God's putting up with us. He's kind of got to now in this. Like he called us, so he's got to put up with us. No, he actually moves to the next word, which is he doesn't just tolerate you. You're beloved in God the Father. Deeply loved. The Father's heart poured out for us the recipients of this. We are the beloved. The Bible tells us, it calls us adopted sons and daughters of this king. You're no longer a slave. You're adopted into the king's family. He's the one who called us. He's the one who acted in love for us. And he's the one who is actively keeping us until Jesus returns to make all things right. See, that that phrase, kept, is a tricky one because sometimes we're like, oh, well, this is like him forcing himself. He's he's doing something. This is some binding thing that he's got, and there there are some ways in which God holds us back. But this is a a preserving love. His keeping us is a gift. The, The idea of being kept in Christ is central to faith. Our hope is not in our ability. Our hope is not in in the fact that I can clean myself up and keep myself clean. The hope is not that uh, like one day I'm going to be perfect that day and then the next day I'm gonna follow it up. Like the hope is not that. The hope is that in Christ, he's forming and reforming me and in all the ways that I fall short, he is what? Keeping me. He's keeping me. And this isn't new, like, Jesus himself, in the upper room, right before he's arrested, right before he goes to the cross in the garden in this, what does he do? He breaks the bread, he holds up the wine, and he speaks to that. Uh, But before that, he teaches in that meal, in that moment, and he speaks several things. In John chapter 15, he talks about the vines and the branches. And what does he say? Whoever abides in me. Whoever is kept in me. It goes on. You could go to Romans 8. You could see multiple different places where this becomes true. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, there's no judgment in this. It's God that is meeting you in this because of Christ. If you are in Christ, 1 Corinthians. Rather, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It makes this case. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. But the key is being in Christ, it's being kept in Christ. This is interesting because we missed this. Yesterday I sat down at a donut shop in Mustang. I sat down with a young guy and his dad and we're talking baptism. We're talking through this and we're just like, what does this look like? What, are you, what does this mean? And ultimately, listen, his answer is one that every one of us would be happy to give. Like he just said, like, I, I, God saved me. I'm in him. And baptism is a picture of that. And you're like, man, That's awesome. Let's get more donuts. And we, we, we forget this. Guess what? This isn't a new, this isn't a new concept. This isn't, a, this isn't just a new thing. This goes throughout Scripture. But it's also really important for us to catch the difference between what the Old Testament has shown and what the New Testament has called us to. Because in the Old Testament, to be where God could bless, one had to be in the land. In the New Testament, it switches, right? You have to be in the Lord. In the Old Testament, everything had to do with a place. Everything had to do with a place. In the New Testament, everything has to do with a person. It's a person. In the Old Testament, so where we see this in the Old Testament, in order to be blessed by God, you needed to be in the land of Canaan. But catch this, this is really important for us. In the New Testament, you have to be in Christ. You have to be in Christ. And this is pictured for us again and again, this garden of blessing. You see this throughout scripture, these foreshadowing moments, which were significant and really important for us, but there probably isn't a bigger foreshadowing of what we're talking about right here than Noah and the ark. It's one of those stories that, regardless if you've ever been to church, if this is your first time in church or you're saying, I'm not even sure what I believe, this is a story that you've probably heard. I'm guessing that you've heard of Noah in this ark, this boat. But in short, in short, what's happening is God's judgment on the outside, and the only way to be protected from that judgment is to be in the ark, the ark was the protection of the judgment. The ark was every bit of it. And what the ark was to them, Christ is to us. In a real microcosm, you start to hear the gospel. You see it, it is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ alone, and it is only there. And so Jude, right off the bat, wants us to get a vision, to get in our head, a vision of what it means to be called, to be loved, and to be kept. And these are the safeguards for us and the rallying cries against the lies and the attacks of the enemy, whether they're inside, inside our head or inside our church or outside, it doesn't really matter. There's still lies and there's still attacks and our only defense is right here in the truth. But Jude doesn't stop there. It, it it, It doesn't go there. Just in verse one, he moves on and what does he talk about in verse two? He picks up and he uses three more words. Mercy, may mercy, peace, and love be your be multiplied to you. Mercy, peace, and love. You see, mercy is this upward thing. This is God in relating to God. We, we don't want justice from God, though we get it. What we want and what we need is mercy from God. Because if all we get is justice, all of us are guilty. What we actually need is mercy, mercy for the guilty, mercy from God to us. May mercy be multiplied to you. That's what Jude is saying right here. Peace, and what is peace? So if if mercy is from God to us, what peace is is what we get. Peace is this internal thing inside of us. God's working, bringing peace here, peace between us and God, but peace internally. God's working that. May peace be multiplied to you. Those are Jude's words. May peace be multiplied to you who are called, who are loved by God and kept in his grace. May peace be multiplied in you and may love. Love be multiplied to you. Love being that outward expression. Love to others, certainly love to God, that two-way street that is happening. But like, like we wanna love God and we want to love others. Verse two makes this really clear that this letter is pointing people to the heart of the Father. A God who calls, a God who loves deeply, a God who keeps his own may these things be multiplied in you. But notice what happens. Jude starts to talk about why he's writing. He starts to talk about this. Jude verse three says, beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You see, uh, Jude, Jude wants to shine a bright light on God's goodness. He wants to, to, to hold it up to that light and turn it and see different aspects and different facets of it. He wants to just celebrate with people, and he wants to say, man, isn't God good? This is amazing what is happening. He wants He's eager to go over these things and to, again, point people back to what God has done and say, just marvel at all that God is doing. But instead, he finds it necessary to say some hard things to them. And again, this is where we need to kind of pick up and and, and clue into something. Like in, in our moment uh, we have a niceness problem. And I know there's all sorts of crazy people out there and will say things. Uh, we don't necessarily have a niceness problem on social media, but it, interpersonally, we have a niceness problem in that uh, oftentimes people who come to church regularly, and others too, like we'll just say nice things instead of loving things. We'll just say pleasantries and, and surface level things instead of real words that people need to hear. It, And interestingly, the Bible doesn't call us to niceness. It doesn't call us just to be nice people or someone's buddy. It calls us to love people. It calls us to be kind. It calls us to be peacemakers and to be builders. It calls us to go to people with mercy and with grace. It calls us to be a lot of things. But just giving pleasantries and just being sappy and nice to folks is not it. And honestly, if we were to look in our own hearts, sometimes we just give niceties, when we really need to love those around us. What we hear from Jude is such an urgent call, a ringing of the bell, a thunderbolt hurled down of like, there is something going on that is so important. I love you so much and you need to hear this. You need to hear this. You've got to catch that. I found it necessary. I found it necessary to speak to these other things. He's not dealing with the church as he, uh, as he hopes or, or in some like foggy idea of perfectionism. He's dealing with it in reality and speaking to where they are in the moment and saying, this because I love you, you need to hear these things. You need to hear it. And why? Why? In verse four, he says it for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And so catch that. He he names two things that are happening, two things that were happening then and two things that are happening now. They, They deny the grace of God. They pervert the grace of our God. They're twisting up the grace of God, the kindness of God into all sorts of sensuality. And Paul talks about this as like acting like you have a license to go on sinning because of grace. So there are people around them that are perverting the grace of God. And then the second thing is that they're denying that Jesus is Lord. They're denying that he is king, that he is Messiah. And so right here, people who are gathering in the midst, people who are around them, some of the, certainly people who call themselves believers are messing with grace and forgetting about Jesus. I just want to tell you something because I love you. That's not unique to their time. And that happens in us all the time, where we can get twisted up, maybe just in our head. Maybe it's not stuff that would ever get said out loud, but where we twist up God's grace into something that we have to earn. And then we, we start acting or never stop acting like we're Lord and that Jesus is just my buddy. And Jude is going directly to this and saying, friends, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. And so before he deals with the battle ahead and all the specifics, and he gets specific, Jude anchors, he anchors the beloved. He anchors these people to the faith. To that common salvation that he wanted to talk about with a simple charge. And it's interesting that the way the way of the world rallies to a big braveheart type speech or a McAuliffe, like standing there before the people and saying, nuts, this is crazy. But the rallying cry of a follower of Jesus is something different. It comes not from a general, but from a servant. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. And what does he say? He says in verse three, contend for the faith. That word contend is is a thread that runs through the rest of this book. Contend, hold it fast, fight for it, do everything you can to hold on to faith. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And the rest of the book, Is unpacking. It's Jude unpacking why we must contend for this faith. It's him unpacking what that looks like. But let's close today by unpacking what Jude means by the faith once delivered, because that is important to us. It's important to us to think uh, of not like, okay, I'm going to find my sword and I'm going to find my shield and I'm going to fight today. No, he's saying that here's how you contend by you you hold tight to faith in every way you can. And so here's where we're at. What is the faith once delivered? Where there's probably three aspects of it. There's an aspect of belief. The faith, the faith once delivered speaks to belief. This is a doctrinal area. This is what we know, what we, what we believe. This is what we, we actually hold tight to, that Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a perfect life, was crucified, buried, rose again. This one. But these questions are more than that, right? Because we, we're human beings and we live in this world. Like, why, did, why, why are we here? Where do we come from? What, what are the origins of all this? Like, that's part of the faith. We're, what is the purpose of this? Why, why am I here? What is the purpose to life? Like just coming to church and just trying to, to be a nice person at church without thinking of like, God has a purpose for your life. And it's missing something. It's missing the, the fuel that runs this. What's wrong with us? That's the question of sin. Why is it that I I keep messing up? Why do I carry guilt? It's not something that's just pressed on me from cultural constructs and stuff. No, every human being on the planet carries in them a sense of guilt. Regardless where you were raised, regardless if you grew up in church or not, regardless if you you grew up in a culture of another religion, we have this human understanding that we are guilty people. Now, what do we do with that? it's a real question for all of us. It's a real question that the Bible answers. It's a real question that was handed down once for all for those of faith that your answer to those questions is that it's in Jesus. Your hope is found, your purpose is found, the meaning to this life that you go all the way back to the beginning and it is God in the garden. This one God The Bible gives clear and direct and consistent answers to all these things. And that answer always points back to Jesus. And so secondly, the faith once delivered speaks to obedience. It speaks to obedience, not just what do we believe, but what do we do with what we believe. The moral substance of faith. Like, how do we give our lives to this God? What does holiness look like? What do I do when I fall and I fail? What, what does that mean, and what does that look like? And, and just let me say this. Listen, how we live is the most reliable indicator of what you and I believe. And so take that out of just the collective for a second. And let me just rephrase it. You and I practice daily what we really believe. You can say all sorts of things. <laughs> and you can full-throated sing the songs. You can sit up straight and clean yourself up in a lot of ways. But you and I practice daily what we really believe. And so, if you were thinking, man, today would be a great day for me to get a tattoo. Like first, get the I heart mom tattoo on you someplace. Like start there because it's Mother's Day. But if you're going to get one, like right below I heart mom is we practice daily what we really believe. Because this is important. How do we live this faith out? It's not just, well, well, we heard a nice thing. That was a good word right there. Uh, It isn't just like filling us with more knowledge. We've got to live this out. And then finally... If you have, uh, what do you believe and how do you live this out? The faith once delivered speaks to loving, loving God and loving people. That's a relational component. This is a relational substance to our faith. There's a moral substance to our faith. There's a a doctrinal substance to our faith, but there's also this relational substance where it's not just me and God and whatever I wanna do. It's not just like, I'm gonna do my own thing and the church is all busted and whack. Like, no, God came to build up this bride and to prepare this bride. Bring glory and everything. And so what you find is people will, will do will try to disentangle those three. We'll try to take one or two. We know people that just have a lot of knowledge and nothing else. We we know people that will just have they just love everybody and, and there's not much with that. And there there are other people that just want to live alone in a forest and and just keep all the rules and not fall into any traps. And and so we just kind of disentangle it. But it's it's a rope that cannot be untwisted. They have to all be there. Belief without obedience. Belief without obedience is a disconnect between the things of our head and the ways of our heart. What we wanna do and what we wanna be are a people of faith who are whole and connected, integrated. We wanna be this. Creeds without life are meaningless. Creed, like they're just stuff that we go through. Talk, talk of God without our heart engaged is just a lot of nice things. James, brother already spoken of, even tells us that Satan believes all these things. The enemy believes all these things. And so it's not enough just to believe. It's like, how do we walk this out? And when we don't, when we're, when we're just a people who know a lot of things, it is us forgetting the gospel. But there's also obedience of just, I'm just gonna keep all these rules. And, and, and if I'm by myself, I don't have to love anybody. I don't have to do anything. Obedience without love misses the point as well because it just becomes hollow moralism. and often it just reduces into religious duty. Well, I I gotta do this. I guess I have to memorize enough verses today, or I gotta go and sit up straight and do certain things, or they just asked me to worship God through my giving, so I guess I should kinda dig something out, but I don't really want to, I'm just going to. Like, friends, we're not trying to get you to do religious duty. We're trying to point all of us, my own heart, to being worshipers of God in all of life to connect the things that we know to the things of my heart and then also to walk these out love without belief love without actually belief love love just to love It seems right, doesn't it? That's a nice thing. But love without understanding why we were first loved. Love without that that big truth that God so loved you that when you were in your sin, when you were dead in your trespasses, God loved you enough to call you to go and to make a way. And there was no other way. Love without belief is simply a redefinition of distorting love itself. It misses the the meaning of so many things. Uh, Let me give you one quick illustration. It's like in marriage, we, we know we can twist this up and we know, well, people, like we can live together and we can do all these things, which I know some fantastic people have walked this out. But the Bible says that your spouse is a gift from God. It's a gift from God for you and you can reverse the order you can reverse the order and be like well we're living together and we're figuring out if we're compatible and i really love this people this person and i know plenty of people who really love that person that they're living with but you cannot at the end of that get and see and recognize that that person is entirely a gift of god for you you have to start with this person is a gift he's called us at one day to leave our mothers, and our fathers, and then to go to this person and be one. When we just love to love, we start to twist everything, and we miss the purpose of marriage, the purpose of love, the purpose of sex, the purpose of life itself. We miss why we're going to our neighbors, we're trying, trying to do these things. We miss why it is we're supposed to do that, and what happens often is that we just end up being nice people, and not actually followers of Jesus. It's exhausting. It's exhausting just to, just to go through those motions. It's pointless to do it. And it's also another example of forgetting the gospel. And so friends, hear me. I want to invite you over the next couple of weeks to dive into Jude with us. To dive into Jude. I wanna invite you to to read it. It's 25 verses. Read it every day with us. Just read through it, top to bottom, every day with us. If you need to, take breaks, that's okay. But just read through it again and again and see what God is calling you to. See what he's calling us to. I want you to do what Jude is shaking us to pay attention to, which is to contend for the faith to hold fast to the faith. I want to appeal to you with everything. I want to ring every bell and I want to come to you right now appealing as a friend, as a father. I want to love you gently as a mother with her nursing children and say, contend for the faith handed down. Don't just go through the motions of church, any church. And I want to say, particularly to those of you wrestling with faith of what does this even mean? Do I even believe this? Do I even know? I, I, I just, I want you to say, God, if you're real, help me to believe. Help me to believe this. Help me to believe that you call, that you can love this mess and that in all that I'm bringing into this, that you keep us. Help me to believe that in you, I'm a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Help us to believe those things. Help us to recognize that hope and peace and life and mercy is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Help us as people who claim the name of Jesus to, to live out what we just saying, what we sang just a moment ago, that you are all I need so be all that I want. I wanna call you to confess that. That there's so many times that I could recognize with my brain that he is all that I need. But if I were to be real honest, he's not all that I want. And finally, I wanna call you. I wanna, I wanna, with every fiber in my being, I wanna call you to hear. The, the loud bell to, to be shook by the thunderbolt of Jude and to respond, to respond to this with the same urgency, to respond like those soldiers in Belgium, to respond like those soldiers who when they heard the general's response to the enemy advancing said, you're nuts, you're crazy, we're not going anywhere. We're gonna hold fast to the faith We're going to trust that God is going to keep us through all of that. Will you pray with me?